0: Yo, what's up, Henthi? You are tuned in to another episode of the Chicano Podcast. I'm your host, Belon. This episode is being brought to you by Chicano, Chocast, and Steve Garcia. I just um, want to say thank you uh, for uh, being a part of the podcast. Um, I'm doing a little bit different episode today. Um, I might actually, uh, be doing a few more of them just because, um, I've picked up a book recently, um, by, uh, Rodolfo F. Acuna. It's called Occupied America and, um, it's, it's a good book. It's a really good book. Um, in fact, it's so good that, um, I'm recommending it on the show today. Um, I recently started a book club on Facebook called Chicano Book Club. Um, We had, I think, at at the highest, like around 12 people on on just the first uh, book club uh, meeting. And it was two hours long and about 10 people stayed throughout uh, the beginning to the end. And um, it was kind of late, you know, like between 7 and 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Um, you can find it on Facebook if you want to be a part of it. Um, you can send me a, um, Chicano Podcast at gmail.com. Um, you can send me an email. But the thing is, is, um, I'm finding out that a lot of people nowadays, a lot of Chicanos are waking up. A lot of people are wanting to know more about, um, our history. A lot of people are wanting to find out more about, um, our roots, um, Everything that was hidden from us, all these books that were burned, all these temples that were knocked down, that were hidden, uh, that were buried, uh, you know, under churches, you know, I mean, a lot has happened in 500 years to suppress this information, to suppress this awakening, to suppress this language. And um, this is the tone. This is the narrative um, of the book club. It's pretty exciting uh, to see, um, you know, people um, actually wanting to read. Um, you know, this 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 narrative. You know, this book is bringing out a lot of that, and that's that's why I wanted to go ahead and um, open up with this, um, particular book today, uh, because, um, it's a book that already has, uh, multiple editions. Um, it's been around, uh, for some time. Uh, I'm not sure, um, you know, what year, uh, he wrote it. Maybe I should. Uh, but you know, I mean, I'm just jumping into it and, um, yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. Uh, the, ch- the first chapter, um, which is pretty interesting in itself, um, is uh, called, or, or, you know, the, the edition that we're reading right now, it says, not just pyramids, explorers, and heroes, uh, we're covering the cradles of civilization, uh, the Maya, del uh other corn civilizations. And in this uh, first chapter, you know, we learn that Mesoamerica, the, the, the continent of the Americas is one of the few cradles of civilization in the world. And a lot of this started with the Omek, the corn people, uh, you know, um, the Maya, um, you know, hieroglyphs and writing, um, you know, trade, uh, the Toltecs, uh the Aztecs, the Tarascos and Los Tortenos. Um but a lot of this is so interesting just because, you know, we had trade. Uh, you know, I mean, um looking into the way that uh you know societies are built and um civilizations uh with you know food and uh, being able to allow uh you know a staple crop uh to uh you know uh open up the, uh, population is just, it's amazing. Um, in this book, um, you know, like I said, there's, there's a few learning objectives, uh, they, they talk about the different time periods, like, um, pre-classical, post-classical periods, uh, showing the different movements of our societies and civilizations, um, in that context of the corn and the way that it was spread, um, explaining that evolution of agriculture, and innovations and urban centers and agriculture and calendars and math, matics and literary achievement. So many people don't know um, what our people were doing 500 years ago was more advanced than most civilizations in the world. Um, And this is a history that is not taught to us. It's not taught to your children and it's not going to be taught unless we Um, make those proactive changes in the lives of our gente and also change that narrative and call out these false narratives that are taught to us, uh, you know, through uh, Eurocentrism. Um, Another objective is uh, tracing these changes in the development um, of the classes and gender differences as the populations grew from the villages to the chiefdoms. Uh, the urban centers, the tracing and the evolving of the modes of the production, uh, analyzing and contextualizing the world system, placing uh, the disparate Mesoamerican civilization within, uh, you know, this uh, model. Now, there's a timeline uh, that, you know, we went over uh, and this is in in, in the book club. I'm kind of like, you know, talking in in the respect of, uh, you know, the book club. It's kind of like a... um, I don't know, like a, a, a precursor uh to um, you know hopefully you wanting to be a part of another group or another uh Chicano uh book club or even making your own, right? Because uh, that's what we really need. We need we need we need innovators and teachers and leaders out there taking uh the proactive um you know action uh to uh get this out to the community. Uh you know we need we don't need to be talking um, in the narratives, uh, that we were taught anymore. We need to start talking and making our own narratives. Um, but yeah, in the beginning, uh, of the, of the chapter, you know, it goes all the way back to 40,000 BC, um, to, um, obviously when the, um, colonization period started, uh, you know, in 1519. And, um, it does talk about the, uh, conquest Um, It does talk about um, the uh, Mesoamerican and the Andean civilizations uh, because they were two. We had two civilizations uh, that were the cradles of civilizations in the world. And that is out of only, I want to say, what, you had China, you had the Indus Valley, you had the Middle East, and you had Africa. So that right there is four outside of the two. So there were only really considered six. I thought there might've been seven. Uh, but yeah, there, there, there's only six. If you count China, Indus Valley, Middle East, and Africa, um, you know, and that's, that's, that's crazy, you know, that we're not taught this again. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, you know, they were able to, um, adequately supply food uh, you know, for all of these people, this population explosion, um, the, the the Eastern Hemisphere, I think their uh, basic grains were like uh, wheat and rye, oats, millet and barley. Um, in North America, corn um, was developed at least 9,000 years ago and today uh, what we call Central Mexico and spreading into, uh, you know, North America and the Indian region of South America. Um, a lot of people say that, um, you know, migration, uh, diaspora, diaspora, what, you know, the migration of humans um, kind of came around the Bering Strait through Canada, down from North America into South America. But this is really showing that corn actually came from Mesoamerica and in, in, in dispersed outward uh, because it took humans to plant corn. Uh, it took humans to evolve corn. Corn was uh, so small uh, back in the day that, uh, you know, humans would not have been able to use corn or maize as a staple the way that they were doing it. You know, it needed it needed real uh, humans uh, labor uh, to uh, mobilize uh, that production of corn um, into the staple uh, that it became, uh, you know, for our people, uh, you know, to build the pyramids. Uh, That human labor and that ingenuity, uh, you know, uh, was not just engineering. It was not just mathematics. Um, It was not just the concept of zero or making calculations to the stars and um, the circumference of the world, uh, you know, within one football field. I mean, all of these numbers, all of these um, ways that they understood um, food and engineered food is truly amazing. Um, It talks about uh, this uh, stage of development, um, you know, between the 40,000 and 8,000 years before Christ, or um, we'll just say B.C., uh, hunting and gathering uh, characterized by bands of hunters and seeds um, and and fruit gatherers, um, you know, between the years, oh, that was called Paleo-Indian, 8,000 to 2,000 B.C., archaic, incipient agriculture, domestication of maize and other plants, Earliest corn grown in the Wakan circa 5000 BC. Uh, 2000 BC to AD 200 was called the uh, formative preclassic. This intensification of farming and growth of villages uh, from the Omec, uh the chief dome of the Omec, uh stands out. Their reliance on uh, mice and the spread of their religion uh, focuses on the earth and the fertility. Um, of the earth. Organizational uh, evolution between the 1200 to 400 B.C.'s. Numerous chiefdoms evolved through the Mesoamerica uh, period area and the Maya appeared during this period. Monte Alban is established circa 400 B.C. to A.D. 200. Rapid population growth happened this time. Uh, Market system and agriculture intensification uh, occur. The development of a solar calendar occurs. Villages grow into centers. Okay. And this is all like almost 2,000 years ago. Um, Now, 200 to 900 years ago was called the classic period, which was the golden age of Mesoamerica. Um, This is where I guess we evolved to state level societies. We had the emergence of kings and priests. Uh, become more uh, important because there's complex irrigation and population growth, highly stratified society, um, excellent uh, ceramics, sculptures, uh, murals, uh, building of the huge pyramids. Teotihuacan had more than 150, 150,000 people, and it was the largest city outside of China, okay? So, between the years of uh, 900 and 1519, uh, you know, about five, 600 years before uh, the uh, invasion, it's called the post-classic period, which is called, um, which the growth of the city-states and empires um, was occurring. The civil market and commercial elements become more important in the Azteca and Taraskan empires emerge as the dominant powers Um, There was a cyclical conquest Um, during this time. We started using metals, increased trade and warfare. Unfortunately, Um, the cradles of civilization. um, This is very important because it talks about worldwide population began settling in sedentary societies around 8000 B.C. As agriculture became more common, uh, the populations formed laws, um, you know, In more folkways, slowly uh, the six cradles of civilizations uh, formed. Again, it's China, Indus Valley, Mesopotamia, Nile, and Andean regions um, of South America and Mesoamerica. So, one third of the world's um, cradles of civilization is two out of six, Uh, like one out of three. We should be uh, considered, uh, in my opinion, um, our own people. But yet they call us uh, ethnicity. Um, it's kind of kind of crazy when you look at the whole uh, continent of the Americas and you sit there and call us an ethnicity. Um, I don't know. Food surpluses made possible specialization of labor and the development of complex social institutions such. As organized religion and education, trade and a writing system facilitated the cross fertilization of cultures, and the interactive uh, map and timeline at the following website shows the formative of such civilization. So, time is very important in understanding uh, history and it determines the questions that, that we're asking and um this is how we're accumulating the understand the understanding of the science of um what's uh going on with correlating uh you know these maps and this text in this book and um, you know these timelines that we're looking at uh, which does show the stage of the cultural evolution of mesoamerica they called us the corn people um you know for a reason and um it's estimated uh, to be about twenty to thirty uh, thousand years ago that uh, the migration supposedly occurred. That's that's kind of like what the narrative is, and um, their migration into uh, Western Europe began about uh, thirty years ago, by some accounts. And the New World was inhabited by uh, fifteen uh, thousand B.C. However, these are theories and some linguists have raised the notion that language spread from south to north instead of from north to south. This is what I was saying earlier. Um, Early people may have well may may well have migrated back to Asia from the Americas and with the last migration ceasing when the Bering Strait's ice bridge melted around 9,000 B.C. The earliest known villages of the Americas appeared along the coast as early as 12,500 years ago, but it was not until about 7,000 B.C. when the hunters and the fruit gatherers uh, began began to alter the control of their environment. In the Valley of Mexico, uh, the climate started to change, um The water sources, game, and flora uh, became scarce, and as these population uh, were growing, uh, the people were forced uh, to turn uh, to agriculture, or basically die. And um, this evolution of civilization uh, was made possible by the cultivation of maize or corn. And uh, this origin appears to be in the central valley of Mexico as early as 9,000 years ago, because corn became that primary dietary uh, staple throughout uh, Mesoamerica, and then it spread its way north and south. Native Americans commonly planted maize, beans, and squash, which formed the basis of the diet. You know, maize unified Native American cultures. Um, that's, that's, that's a very interesting uh, thing to take note of. Corn unified the Native American cultures, okay? And if they're saying that it originated in Mesoamerica, then, you know, why are we not considered, like, basically the foundation of being Native Americans? The Omics, the Mayas, the Aztecs, they were, in my, in my opinion, if, if, we, if we moved north, Um, they were the forefathers of the Apaches and the Cherokees and the Navajo and um, the Iroquois um, and the um, different uh, 500 tribes, you know, that were throughout the East uh, Coast and the West Coast and, you know, North America and even Canada. Corn um, is that link, uh, that missing link And um, I just wanted to make a a special note about that because uh, the recent study showed uh, that the people traveled with the seed uh, to various places in the Americas. Archaeologists discovered remains of uh, large human settlements in uh, the American Southwest dating from 760 to 200 B.C., uh, which included evidence of maize farming. Uh, the completeness of the mice culture supports a theory that Mesoamerican farmers brought corn into the southwest, uh, meaning, you know, they spread it all the way down to, Inca, you know, the, 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 the Peru and the Inca civilization as well. Uh, that cradle of civilization, uh, you know, being the Andean. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of significance uh, to these um, connections with the mice. And even the ceremonies and the rituals throughout Mesoamerican Southwest, um, mice was also found. Uh, you know, modern day Peru as early as AD 450. Okay? So the European invasion put uh, the corn cultures in danger of extinction. Uh, this threat continues today in places like the remote mountains of Huaca, uh, Oaxaca. Mexico, where traces of genetically modified organisms um, are invading the native corn. The GMOs in Mexico are being banned uh, for commercial planting and transgenic corn in 1998. uh, Imports about 6.2 million corns a year in Mexico, mostly from the United States. About a quarter of the, or Mexico imports it from the U.S. About a quarter of the U.S. commercial corn crop contains GMOs. And after harvest, it is mixed with conventional corn as a result. Uh, which much of the Mexican corn is now considered to contain low levels of background GMOs. And it does concern uh, Mexicans since the GMOs or the foods and the, the GMOs and the foods and seeds are an environmental threat to wild to wild plants and species uh, such as the monarch butterfly. The Olmeca in 1500 BC and 500 BC, around 3000 BC, um... There was a qualitative change that took place in the life of the corn people. And this agriculture uh, surplus and concentration of population encouraged specializations of labor. Um, You know, the shamans became more important in society and tools became more sophisticated and pottery uh, more crafted. History shows the development of a civilization occurring um, at this time in North, North Africa and Asia, where uh, their cradles of civilizations traditionally, traditionally believed uh, to be uh, located, the Mesoamerican identity had already begun to form, marked by dependence on our corn agriculture and our growing population. Now, because the old Mecca civilization was so advanced, some people, you know, speculate that, you know, our people suddenly arrived from Africa. This is a, um, I think, in my opinion, a um, false narrative. Um, some people say, you know, far, people are from out of space. Some people, scholars, however, agree that the Olmeca, know, known as the mother culture of Mexico, was the product of the cross-fertilization of indigenous cultures that included other Mesoamerican civilizations. And the Olmeca built the first kingdoms and established a template a worldview and political symbolism the Maya would inherit. One of few known primary civilizations in the world that is state-like organizations that evolved without ideas taken from other systems. The Omeka culture is one of the first tropical lowland civilizations and antecedent to later Mayan classic culture. The Omeka settled in villages and cities uh, in the Gulf Coast, in the lowlands, mostly of present-day southeastern Veracruz, and Tabasco. And in northern Central America, around 2000 BC, the production of mice and other domesticated crops uh, became sufficient supporting the villages. Um, a second breakthrough occurred, uh, you know, with pottery through the region, um, known as the Oco. Uh, these people populated Pacific Coast in Chiapas and Guatemala, although a lot is not known about the Oco, but their pottery Um, is found from Veracruz in El Salvador Honduras Uh, this development of uh, pottery allowed the storage of the food surplus encouraging the Olmeca and other Mesoamerican people to form small villages little evidence of social ranking and craft specialization has been found in the early villages which evolved from the egalitarian community into a hierarchical agrarian society of toolmakers, potters, and sculptors. As they evolved, uh, the Olmeca became more patriarchal. And they probably excluded women from production outside the home, but the Olmecs began to build the villages of the Gulf Coast in as early as 1500 B.C. And by 1150 B.C., the Olmeca civilization formed uh, thousands of... um, uh, thousands of um, thousands of people constructed large formal temples built on earthen mounds. They did carve colossal nine-foot-high stone heads. San Lorenzo was one of the one such settlement in urban center with public buildings, a drainage system, and a ball court. La Venta. Uh, Population 18,000, a major ceremonial site in Tabasco, um, was uh, eclipsed or eclipsed San Lorenzo. 2,500 is the center of the Olmeca civilization in about 900 B.C. Tres zapotes, 3,000, would eventually overtake La Venta. By the middle formative period, other chiefdoms emerged throughout Mesoamerica. Trade networks linked the Olmeca with uh, contemporaries in Oaxaca, in central Mexico, in the valley of Oaxaca, San Jose Mogote functioned as a primary center, as, as did Chalcatzingo, in the present-day state of Morelos. Priestly elite dominated the primary Omega settlements. <coughs> Time marched on. The shaman class played an ever-increasing role in the lives of people. From these centers, they ruled dispersed populations of farmers who did periodically assemble at the ceremonial and trade sites to meet labor obligations, attend ceremonies, and use uh, the marketplace. Uh, the elite had greater access to valuable trade goods and occupied larger homes than other common people. And the elite were even given or buried in larger tombs. Um, there is... Uh, archeological evidence that were left behind by the Olmecs, uh, by their hieroglyphs um, and the scripts in the hieroglyphs of of the uh, hieroglyphic uh, scripts, um, which were foundations for these uh, calendars that the Mayans and the Zapotecans, um, you know, had crafted. The Olmec developed uh, three calendars uh, with a 260-day cycle um, and that was used for religion and a solar calendar with 18 months of 20 days plus five days tacked on um, and then a corresponding 365-day uh, uh, calendar and a combination of two calendars in which religious days determined tasks such as naming a newborn infant in any case beyond Mecca used a more accurate calendar before time of Christ than the West uses today. So these civilizations were more advanced in a lot of areas that are not talked about. Um, And I don't think that this narrative is ever going to want to be revealed uh, just because of the uh, imperialism and supremacy of uh, you know the leaders and the people that are in these positions of power uh, wanting to keep um, our people um, ignorant of a lot of this that's why it's so important to read that you know the development of these calendars did require sophisticated knowledge of mathematics Um, there's a considerable difference of opinion about whether the Olmec or the maya Uh, discovered the concept of these uh, numbers, like zero, uh, circa 200 B.C. Uh, The Hindus discovered the zero in the 5th century A.D., and not until A.D. 1202 did the Arab mathematicians export the concept to Europe. So, the pre-Columbian astronomy, uh, too, was far ahead of Europe's. The writing systems of the Olmec is still to this day being deciphered, and these hieroglyphic texts represent more than a history; they uh, also constitute literature. Other Olmeca legacies are the ball game and the feathered serpent coat of Quetzalcoatl that they share with most American cultures. Um, the growth of the agriculture uh, surplus it increased trade. Um, it gave the Yolmeca the luxury of developing art, advanced art forms. And although they are best known for the massive, carved, full, rounded heads, they are also crafted, smaller figurines of polished jade, religion, and the natural world inspired the subject matter of art for the Olmec, And all of this was passed down, um, in organizations, um, or forms of organization like religion and art, uh, you know, to the Maya, Teotihuacan, and later Aztec societies about 300 BC. The Olmec civilization supposedly supposedly disappeared, and um, it continued to exist uh, from 150 BC to AD 450, in what some scholars call the Epi-Olmec period. Um, the Maya mayan agriculture's uh, villages appeared about 1800 bc the maya formed a network of trade that interacted with other chiefdoms in the gulf coast oaxaca and central mexico merchants from teotihuacan lived in maya centers such as ticao from at least the first century a.d uh, the maya experimented with advanced advanced forms of agriculture drug irrigation uh, dug they dug irrigation canals and they reclaimed wetlands by constructing uh raised fields and as their populations got bigger they built a lot uh, larger ceremonial or centers um, they also um, took um, control of their religious uh, rituals and belief systems um, through their rulers, um, you know, in the case of the Amer- Mesoamerican societies. And from AD 250 to 900, the Maya lived in an area roughly that was half the size of Texas. Today, the Mexican states of Yucatan, Campeche, Quintana Roo, uh, part of Chiapas and Tabasco, as well as Guatemala, Belize, Western Honduras, and El Salvador um, are the divine. Uh, Ahu'ap and the Divine Lord ruled millions of farmers, craftsmen, merchants, warriors, and nobles, uh, and presided over capitals, studded with pyramids, temples, palaces, and vast open plazas, serviced by urban populations, numbering in the tens of thousands. And agriculture and trade produced prosperity and gave the the ability to build temple, pyramids, monuments, and palaces, of limestone masonry in dozens of states. They also used their astronomy skills to link earthly events to those of the heavens, and their calendars were a product of time signs. In the ninth century AD, the Maya classic culture began to decline, probably because of the revolts, the warfare, the disease, the crop failure, overpopulation, it explains the internal strife and dissatisfaction uh, with their leadership and is a possible explanation for their decline, but the mind left many examples of their accomplishments in a limestone cavern in northern Guatemala through narrow tunnels frequented 12 centuries ago. There are black carbon images of a sacred ball game, musician dwarfs and contemplating shells, homosexual lovers locked in embrace and columns of intricately entwined hieroglyphs. The decipherment of glyphs raises many questions. For example, little doubt exists about the presence of homosexuality and the question of how society formed attitudes towards homosexuality. Research in this area is just beginning. Like the past literature on the subject, it comes from highly biased sources. One of the most interesting accounts by Richard Trexler, who argues that Spaniards would often feminize their enemies in warfare, calling them sodomites and pederasts. Trexler, Trexler says that the Europeans' um, notions form much of what we know about homosexuality. In the case of the invasion and subjugation of the Mesoamericans, the Spaniards' homophobia suggested to them their own moral supremacy. Sodomy was seen as either a sign of insufficient civilization. Or a sign of moral decay. So um, there's a lot of hieroglyphic uh, writing, uh, you know, from the Mayas, and uh, the decipherment of these writing uh, hieroglyphics um, led to an, a greater understanding of the Maya culture, including um, identifying the dynasty rulers and understanding how the various people interacted. And this uh, evidence from these bones and ancient. Um, Maya suggests that the uh, common people um, seldomly lived beyond the age of 40, and many died um, as children in early uh, childhood. Men and women were in the ruling class that were physically larger uh, than others, sometimes lived the remarkably long lives. And one of the greatest rulers of the ancient city of Yaxchilan, Shield Jaguar, lived almost 100 years of age. Now, Maya glyphs suggest that a ball game played throughout Mesoamerica served as a means to communicate with the gods. And it also enhanced social and economic organization and was a substitute for war, revered by both the Maya and the Azteca. The game possessed deep religious significance, and the object of the game which was played by a small group in an outdoor stone court, was to pass a large rubber ball through a stone ring at the opposite end of the court. In the Maya base, their numerical system on counting on the fingers and toes, for example, in K'iche, a brand of Maya culture, the word for number 20 symbolized the whole person. This method of counting is also reflected in the dismal divisions, and the Maya used a base Um, number of 20 with only three symbols a bar a five and a dot for one Um, and a stylized shell for zero and as we have discussed above the Maya if not the Omeka were probably the first people to develop the math concept of zero and their knowledge of math allowed them um, to develop that advanced calendar that we know of Um, the Maya wasn't limited to observation of the stars or approximate predictions of the movement of the heavenly bodies. Using these sophisticated numerical systems, uh, they were able to make various tabular calculations in conjunction with the hieroglyphic script, and the Maya astronomers calculated figures running into the millions. At the time, of the Spanish conquest, the Maya still wrote glyphs not only on stone slate but in handmade books in 1566 and the yucatan far diego de la alanda read a great number of maya books according to him because the books were about the indigenous antiquities and sciences which he believed were based on nothing but superstition and falsehoods of the devil he burned them however not all of the maya books were burned some of them were sent to europe as part of the booty seized by cortez from the native americans and the spaniards could now I decipher them, and over the years, mm, most crumbled into dust or were thrown out as trash. That's so sad, man. My society um, like other societies in Mesoamerica, um, they lived within the matrix of the community. they organized themselves into extended families in which there was little patrilineal descent. multiple generations of a clan that had a common ancestors resided in one. Household compound and the inheritor of the supreme authority was established through primogeniture, which resulted in the rule of clan elders. Kings also based their legitimacy on the membership in the clan. The kings erected monuments to commemorate their victories and to record their lineage. During the late Classic period, Teotihuacan, a kingdom of around 500,000 or half a million, was the largest known Maya center. It covered about 14 square miles. It included more than 3,000 structures and then made alliances with other city-states, but also often used force to expand its territory. And the glyphs on a prominent Tikal building reveal the names of notable women such as Bird Claw, Jaguar Seat, Twelve Macaw, and the Woman of Tikal. These women, although buried in honored places, were present only through a relationship with An important male. The differences between males and females were changed with time. Scholars suggest that there was more equality before AD 25 than after. As in most advanced civilizations, uh, class differences existed, and over time, one's position in society became hereditary. Therefore, a distinct divide between high-ranking members of Takao society and the poor did exist, and it widened over time. The glyphs reveal few actual women rulers among the maya and palenque during the sixth and seventh centuries there were only two women rulers lady canal Ikao and lady zac Kuk. both were the descendants of the kings and thus legitimate rulers they inherited the throne passed it to the kids lady zucac and the granddaughter of lady canal ikau was the mother of the great pakao who built grand buildings as testimony to her greatness indeed pakao Got his legitimacy through his mother, uh, his line of ancestry, and she enjoyed great prestige because she lived for 25 years into his rule. And Pacal died in his 90s. Um, so yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Um, moving into the, cl- the decline of uh, the Maya civilization, uh, they talk about after 909 A.D. the Maya built few new temples and even fewer cities because the northern Yucatan at sites such as Chichen Itza and Tulum. Uh, Chichen Itza was first founded about 400 AD and was governed by priests. The architecture reflects a religious dominance and there are many representations of the god Chat, the Maya rain god on the buildings, which the arrival of the Itza from central Mexico about AD 500 the city was rebuilt in images of the god Kukulkan, the plume serpent became numerous. The Itza were politically and commercially aggressive rulers. and Chichen Itza was the dominant Maya center in the Yucatan Peninsula during the early post-classic period. It was closely linked to the Tula people in the north and was greatly influenced by that culture. and The importance of the center declined after the late 12th century when a rival Maya group sacked it. Tulum and other coastal cities were important centers for sea Based commerce, Glyphs may someday answer many questions about the Maya who built the civilizations in a hostile and fragile rainforest. How did six million Maya coexist in the difficult environment? For a time, these civilizations met the challenge and they developed a sophisticated knowledge of astronomy and mathematics that allowed them to increase production of food and other necessities. They constructed a mosaic of sunken garden, fruit trees, and terraces, a system that used the rainfall, fertile soil, and shade of the jungle to their advantage. Without permanently harming it, Maya farmers dug canals and built raised fields in the swamps for intensive agriculture. Until recently, archaeologists assumed that the Maya used slash-and-burn methods, in which farmers cut and burned the jungle, uh, planted crops for a few years, and then moved on with nutrients. Uh, were depleted, but a true slash-and-burn method would have supported only about 65 people per square mile. However, the Maya population density had already reached about 125 people per square mile, AD 600. We could speculate that the engineering projects like canals, reservoirs, and the terraced fields came about at the cost of human labor, but after hundreds of years of relative prosperity and power, the urban infrastructure of many Maya cities broke down. The drop of the food supply increased between the lower and the elite classes and between city-states. Today, Mesoamerican scholars generally agree that no single factor caused this fall. But by the late classic periods, population suffered from malnutrition and other chronic diseases. The environment simply could not support the large population indefinitely. Surely, class oppression and war played a role in the decline in the common person labored in the fields maintaining a complex agricultural network. While priests resided in empty ceremonial centers, their nobles plainly oppressed the commoner, the warrior, the temple builder, the farmer, the Maya organized construction crews of corvi, or unpaid labor, and the growth of the system magnified class hostilities over time. In addition, evidence shows a sharp decrease in rainfall between the years of A.D. and 1000. One of the most severe climate changes in 10,000 years at roughly the time the Maya declined in the 9th century. The drought caused tensions. The result was that the cities and villages and fields were burned and wars increased. Although the cities of the Maya lowlands shared a common culture, they were politically unified. Each region had a capital city and numerous smaller subject cities, towns, and villages. Furthermore, increased trade and competition led to warfare. The Maya civilization, however, endured for more than a thousand years during what is known the Golden Age of Mesoamerica in the post-classical period. The Maya experienced a gradual breakdown of their social structures marked by a decline of the priest class and the growing political and cultural influences of a rising rising merchant class. Until recently, scholars described the Maya society as peaceful. Dakota Glyphs, however, suggest another view of the Maya revealing the practice of human sacrifice and bloodletting. The Maya believed that the gods controlled the natural elements and the gods demanded bloodletting. Human sacrifice was mostly limited to prisoners, slaves and orphaned or illegitimate children purchased for the occasion. Generally, it was more common to sacrifice animals and this bloodletting and human sacrifice placated the gods and assured the Maya that their crops would grow and their children would be born healthy. As drought and the resulting drop in the food supply took its toll, there was a corresponding increase in both human sacrifice to appease the gods in warfare. An analogy can be made between uh, human sacrifice and war. So, um, yeah, I think um, that's where we stopped um, on the uh, book reading, uh, you know, for the uh, Chicano Book Club. I think so. That's where I'm gonna go ahead and stop um, on here, too. This is the 8th edition, chapter 1, page 7. Um, I think the next uh, paragraph starts to talk about Tihuacan. And um, this is the City of Gods. Um, i not gonna go into all that, but um, just as a memory block, I wanted to um, remember where I stopped uh, and picked up on, you know, the bottom of page 7. 8 and uh 9 and 10 and uh 11 and 12 and 13 is pretty much the uh last of the chapters um actually all the way to 15 uh so there's uh quite um there's quite a lot more to read um you know, just within an hour or two hours take, um, if we're going to have a little bit of discussion. And that's what we're actually doing. uh, You know, we're reading a little bit. We're talking a little bit. bit. We're reading a little bit. We're talking a little bit. Um, Because, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, want to ask questions and give a little input and, um, you know, start having conversations on some of these um, concepts of, uh, you know, what we're learning. Uh, you know, in this book. And I think that this is a good starting place, uh, you know, for a lot of people that want to have, uh, you know, these discussions. And I think if you're going to be a, um, how do I say this? Um, if you're going to be a uh, 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 a leader, right? Uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, your family, I think this would probably be a better way uh, to do it is, um, you know, lead by example. You know, lead uh, by reading, by education. What 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 better way uh, can you be inspiration? Uh, you know, to these uh, kids or these uh, children or these. Um, you know what it was like to be discriminated against. Um, if you really understand the Chicano experience, you know we are still going through this, um, stage of inequality, whether you be a child, whether you be a teenager, whether you be a grown person, or even a senior person, you know, they take advantage of you, um, any way they can, and, um, you know, they've been doing it, um, you know, when we're talking about this, um, imperialism, this, uh, you know, taking, um, of the, uh, the, the, the lands, Or, um, you know, even in this this book, you know, they talk about like these um, classes, these classes of people, uh, you know, who got this or who got that. And I think that's interesting is because, you know, it it tells me that maybe they used a lot of our political um, rules on us. You know, a lot of the politics that's involved uh, they may have actually stole that from, uh, you know, some of the states that already had a lot of these uh, policies already implemented as far as like, you know, the, the, the different tribes or the different chiefdoms or the different uh, people that were in power, um, i.e., uh, you know, the Tarascans or the, um, the nobles or uh you know the aztecs which were you know the the separate uh or the, the 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 two opposing uh chiefdoms uh you know at the time you know this is you know after the maya this is after the olmec uh you know when all this war was going on you know there was probably uh you know food shortages and uh maybe that could have led to a lot of this decline uh, but, yeah, I think there's just a lot of things to just think about, a lot of things to ponder, a lot of things to, uh, you know, open your mind into, uh, you know, what our uh, people's history is. And um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, wrap it up, uh, you know, right there. Um, and i um, just doing a, a, a highlight of, um, you know, what we have to read. After that, it talks about urbanism and trade. Uh, again, the Torteca, other corn civilizations, the Tarasco, the Azteca and um, the Los the, uh, Norteños. Um, so it, it, it does go all the way to page, uh, let's see, 15 until 16, 17. Uh, a lot of footnotes um, on these uh, last few pages up to 18. So there's like three pages of footnotes until it starts on chapter 2, uh, which is page 19. And this is uh, the occupation of Middle America. So, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and uh, wrap this up. I'm going to go ahead and uh, turn this into an episode just because, again, I'm pretty excited about this uh, particular book reading. And um, I hope you guys, uh, you know, put this in your, um, you know, your library. But um, until the uh, next episode, peace, y'all.